The following is brought to you with no commercial interruptions. Listen up. So, we need to bullshit probably a little more because I don't think you've got anything good yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> you. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm warming up. I haven't done this in... Well, yeah, I have. I did a re- yeah, recording. Yeah, yeah, I've been doing a couple yeah. recordings. I'm, I'm starting to, to ramp up. It's been a year since I've done one of these with you. Oh, damn. I was in Mexico the last time we did one when we did drifting. Oh. Yeah, I was like, man, like how, like, it's like you've only been on twice this season? Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. I'm, I'm trying to, to cool off, you know? I want John Farrar to have his space, you know? Mm, I thought you wanted to beat him. Yeah, I do, but I want to, <laughs> I, I, I want to, like, beat him with the, the, like, dagger in the heart last minute well, shot. Not the, like, beat it by 50. Welcome to Season 8, Episode 29 of the Better Band Podcast, an all-encompassing trip through every song in the Pearl Jam catalog. I am your host, Brandon Pullover. Each episode, I go track by track with a guest through every album, soundtrack, single, and b-side to discover why you simply can't find a better band. Welcome back to the Better Band Podcast. This is Brandon today talking about the lost dog in the moonlight with guest, friend of the show, friend in real life, Kevin Lassard. How's it going, Kevin? It's going great, Brandon. It's so great to be back here with you and all of your millions and millions of listeners. Uh, I'm really excited to just share our combined love of Pearl Jam and of you. Oh, well, thank you. And uh, today, Crap, I don't know how to come out of that. <laughs> you stumped me. You surprised me. Oh, damn. Hey, there you go. That's why I'm Way, way to fluster me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, well, it's always good to have you. It's always good to talk to you. Thank you. Even if it's not about Pearl Jam, but this makes it a bonus because uh, it's content. So right. there you go. <laughs> Getting it to <laughs> Abusing fair. our friendship. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this song, of course, uh, written by Matt Cameron, lyrics and music. Recorded during the binaural sessions, he put out a demo of this song, I believe, on MySpace, and he sings it, and it's got all sorts of wacky different lyrics in it. Right, which raises the question for me, can you really say music and lyrics by Cameron, when obviously Ed has changed a bunch of lyrics? Well, we don't know that Ed changed the lyrics. Matt could have written both sets of lyrics. Well, yeah, you're right. We don't know that Ed changed lyrics, but... <laughs> Forget that jiggle, baby, and get back. It's a steady shove to relax. It's getting closer to all things. The moonlight Give in to all things A beautiful star appears A wonderful sense of being In the moonlight So let's, let, let's open up our our Lost Dogs booklets so we can see what it says about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's got Ed 
And he says, Matt Cameron writes songs and we run to find step stools in order to reach his level. What comes naturally to him leaves us with our heads cocked like a confused dogs that we are, eventually getting it. Did we mention he's the greatest drummer on the planet? And so, and Matt also plays some of the guitar on this song as well. Yeah, I um, think that Ed is probably a little bit blowing smoke up Matt's ass. <laughs> uh, there's obviously, you know, songs like Last Exit that were already in the Pearl Jam catalog that were odd, odd meter. There's a lot of really interesting and complex musical stuff that Stone had been doing, you know, since the Andy Wood days. So I, I feel like, like Ed, like, like they're not that, you know, if Matt is at all I, on a higher level of musician than the rest of the guys, it's not by that much. Well, I don't know. Let's, let's compare notes for the time signatures on this song then. Oh, this is the game. This is the game. <laughs> See, we now, for some of the Matt Cameron songs, uh, the stuff that's included in the Pearl Jam anthology, which are the album tracks, it's easy to cheat and to look at what the time signatures are in there. But Lost Dogs, for the most part, is not included in that. So what we have to do is tap our feet and count Mm -hmm. (laughs) for this song. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Kevin... What do you have for the verse? What do you think the verse time signature is? So I'm I'm of two minds about this. Mm-hmm. So I've counted out, you know, probably 20, 30 times this morning. Mm-hmm. And I, I came down to sort of two answers. One, I feel like it makes more sense if I was going to write it, like if I was going to transcribe the song. Mm-hmm. And one that I think is probably how Matt actually thinks of it. Mm-hmm. So the easy way to transcribe it is to call the verse 3-4. Okay. And that the phrases just carry over over multiple measures. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that Matt probably in his head when he's thinking about it, thinks of it as 6-4 with one measure of 9-4. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of what I came up with. It was like 6-4, it's like, eh, and then probably a 4-4 four, four and a 5-4, which I guess you could yeah. call a 9-4. Yeah, I think that if you asked Matt what time signature it was, that's what he would tell you. I think, though, that if someone was asking me how to play it, I'd say count it in three. Yeah, because that, uh, that, um, that one measure of the triplet arpeggio is the 5-4 that, right, that gets inserted in. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The in the moonlight. do do It took me forever to catch, to, to figure that I had to listen to it four or five times before I figured out that that was three more beats. Yeah. Well, I guess that one dent at the end is the first beat of the, uh, of the next measure. It is, yeah. And so uh, we've got the uh, Love Drawn Nearer, the first half of the, uh, of the chorus there, that part. Uh, what, what do you got for that? Uh, where was that? That was the Love Drawn Nearer. I think I got four four for that. Well, it's like it's it's kind of four four and five four, yeah, or the nine or a, a nine mm-hmm. four in that, because yep. then it goes to mm-hmm. the night bird. 
Yeah, the night bird is obviously in 4 4. The night bird that is following you, which we'll have to talk about all later. The night bird following you all the time. Not creepy at all. <laughs> yeah, and then of course it has the arpeggio 5 4 uh, measure yeah, in there. Right, exactly. Okay, so then there's uh there's a bridge in there, a little bridge of uh mm-hmm. I think uh of eighteen beats. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which is which is why I, I came it was ultimately the bridge that brought me around to the idea that it's just all in three four. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise you're looking at at three measures of six four, which doesn't make a lot of sense musically, mm-hmm. or a five a five four 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 five four four four. Like it's there's a lot of weird stuff in that bridge. So I I just came to the conclusion that it's just all three four. Okay, and uh, so then the end. I want to hear your theory on the end. I believe is five four. I also came to that conclusion when I first was counting it out. I was I was thinking of the riff mm-hmm. and kind of counting with the riff, and I was kind of like, oh, that's like a seven four and a three four. I was like, wait a minute, the seven plus three is ten, and so it's probably mm-hmm. it's probably a five and not yeah that. But I know that a lot of the 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 only way <laughs> that I think like Stone and Mike are playing these songs is just I'm not counting I'm just playing whatever the riff is and <laughs> that's it I know this part is do 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 when I get to the end I'm gonna start playing yeah it's kind of like I don't know it's like I'm just feeling the groove and you know just playing in time whatever the riffs are now what I've got an interesting question trying to get into the mind of Matt Cameron a little bit do you think he sets out to write stuff in a weird time signature? Or do you think that he comes up with the riff and then works out the time signature that fits it? And that his brain is just so time signature messed up that the riffs that he comes up with are 7434 or whatever. I don't think that he... I don't, I don't think he would set out to do something in a specific time signature. Like, it's like, okay... Hmm, let me see. Okay, I'm going to write something in 9-4 today or something like that. You know, it's kind of like, okay, well, I think it's just sort of like he'll have a riff maybe and be kind of like, okay, I'm going to add or take away a beat to it to make it stand out more mm-hmm. because otherwise it's just sort of, you know, what, what, what do I bring? Because everybody else can, you know, come up with something like that. So I'm going to come up with something that's a little bit that stands out and that'll be a little bit more mm-hmm. fun for me when I'm playing the drums to you know, kind of add in some extra, uh, some extra stuff, some zhuzh. Okay. That seems like a reasonable approach to it. What, what, what do you think, Kevin? I think he probably 
just writes the riff and that there is, I don't want to say something broken in his brain, but his <laughs> brain just works in a different way. Because mm-hmm. I've written songs, and aside from one song that I can think of, every song I've written in, I've written, was just naturally in either 4-4 four, four or 12-8. Because those are the meters that I know. Those are the meters that sort of feel normal. Um, I did, I did one. Well, you and I wrote it together in five four. The sunburn, or uh... yeah, exactly. But I assume that. I mean, maybe it's a false assumption. I assume everyone sort of writes songs the same. You hear a riff in your head, or a particular melody, or a lyric, and you try to get that from your head into an instrument. And just his head is so complicated that the riffs that come out are in 15-8 or whatever weird time signature he's got bumping around up there. Yeah, because I, I, the drum parts that he plays aren't super complicated. I mean, because he plays like stuff that sounds very straightforward, which I think is like the part where it's kind of like, oh, it's kind of confusing because like, okay, he's just going, he's just playing the drums and it's real straight. Whereas like some other... I'm thinking particularly probably like Mastodon or something like that, where it, when it's written in a different time signature, the, you can hear the drums doing something different because of the, the extra beats that might be tacked onto something to make it into a, a five mm-hmm. or a seven or something like that, where it's just like kind of like some extra fills and everything like that. But Matt does a lot of stuff very straightforward, and so mm-hmm. it sounds very natural, and so you just kind of get into the groove. But then when you're trying to count it, it's kind of like, whoa, okay, something... Something is a little off here. I would have to agree with that. I think that that's... Matt is very much a pocket drummer and that he kind of just, like, finds the space that he needs to fill and just kind of sits there. He doesn't do a lot of heavy lifting, a lot of... But not... I shouldn't say not doing a lot of heavy lifting. He doesn't do a lot of extraneous stuff mm-hmm. to to fill space or make himself stand out. And I feel like this is, this is a song that if you just listen to it without counting, you'd say, yeah, it's a normal song. It's only when you start really trying to break it down that you're like, oh, there's, you know, it's not like the perfect example of that is uh, Hey Ya by Outkast. Mm-hmm. Everyone who listens to that the first time is like, whoa, they did something weird there because they have that one measure of two, four in the middle of the verse. Yeah. One, two, three. Uh. My baby don't mess around because she loves me so and this I know for sure. And you never, I, I hardly ever get that feeling with the odd time sim- signature stuff that Pearl Jam does. So then do you think that this would have fit in at all on binaural? Well, it's um, something that I looked at from two different ways uh, as I was doing my research for this episode. Uh, one, I looked at the original track listing uh, that the band put out before they released binaural. Mm-hmm. And it was on there between soon forget and parting ways at the end Ooh. which i feel like if they had released that that would very much have not fit i feel like the transition from soon forget to parting ways is a very natural one and putting something in between there i i don't think would have worked when i did my own personal retracking of binaural i added it uh between nothing as it seems and thin air Mm-hmm. In sort of my weird second, because I when I retracked binaural, I did it kind of in in blocks of four. Mm-hmm. So the first four are the kick-ass songs, and <laughs> the next four are the kind of weird songs, and it fits 
I feel like more in that with the nothing as it seems, thin air, moonlight, that that kind of area. I still, knowing the other stuff that was available for Binaural and knowing how that album went, I think that the band probably made the right choice leaving this one off. As much as it is an awesome song, I don't think it would have fit the sound that Pearl Jam was at that time. Yeah. That being said, I think that it probably would have fit really well on Riot Act if they had let it stick around and marinate for a while. Yeah, that's uh, the the song came out on Lost Dogs. Uh, the first time they played it live was um, on September 3rd, 2011 at that night of PJ20. Uh, Josh Hom was background vocals on that. I'm not sure if he played guitar or not. I have not seen a video. Uh, he did not. He only sang vocals. Okay, so that was that was pretty much the first time they played it live. Um, I believe all the lyrics were correct. As far as I could tell, they but were. Then, yeah. Yes, but then a couple days later, when they played uh, th- that song in Saskatchewan, or in, uh, in Saskatoon, he yeah. had messed up the lyrics. There's a lot of lyrics. You gotta... He's got a lot of songs to remember, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, they wouldn't play it again until uh, 2016. Another sort of kind of duo a couple days after that in uh, Tampa and in Philadelphia. Yep. And before the Tampa, before they played it in Tampa, Ed tells a story about um, working in a hotel valet and borrowing the cars and how, like, you know, I've, I thought at the time, I'm never going to be able to drive a car like this again. You know, it's so smooth. And then he draws draws the comparison that the smoothest ride in the nicest car isn't comparable to the ride that we get playing with Matt Cameron. And then they kick into this song. Ah, they kind of did a, a little Ferris Bueller action, I think then. Uh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and... and Crap, in one of those ones, he messes up the lyrics. <laughs> yeah, I believe I believe that is also the Tampa show. The Tampa one, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But then the other one gets it right, so he, he wants to get into the uh, into the chorus a little uh, sooner. Forgets the uh, the second verse. And uh, speak, speaking of second verses, let's see. Uh, like I said, uh, Matt had a demo of it uh, with completely different lyrics. Well, not completely different. They were, I mean, he says in the moonlight in both. <laughs> yes. Um, I guess. I think he also says it's. Yeah. <laughs> in there, in both versions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, in, 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 in both versions, there's three verses, pretty much. Uh, there is also a version on the anything in between little uh uh release thing or whatever like that i i I talked about it on the fatal episode a little bit more in depth so everybody can listen back to that and uh in that version there is no third verse on it but it is pretty much the song with all of the lyrics in it the the demo lyrics or the the binaural lyrics the lost dog lyrics the um the anything in between lyrics it's it's Uh it's a different take um okay yeah because the the third verse is shut out is uh the third verse is not on there and the the song is like a couple was like almost a minute shorter than it um you can also tell ed's like he's trying to figure out where the words go in the verse 
So, did, do we have anywhere like written down Matt's demo lyrics? Well, I, I I think I got them listening to it. You can understand most of them. There's just a couple line. There's a couple words where I'm not sure what he's saying. So I got uh, forget that you're mm-hmm. something. Sounds kind of like go maybe or kind of forget that you mm-hmm. baby and get back. It's a steady shelter relax. It's getting closer to all things in the moonlight. Mm-hmm. Giving to all things, a beautiful star appears, a wonderful sense of being in the moonlight. And then the chorus is, uh, message of love becomes clearer. Night sky lit again. I think maybe it's lit. Or, yeah, a night, night sky lit again. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, Instead of night bird, it's slips away with a kiss goodnight this time. In the final verse, uh, forget to feed what it's itching. It's cities lost and bleeding. Got to find my way again in the moonlight. So it's, I mean, it's a love song, right? I think we can both agree in both versions. It is about longing and the sort of things, Mm -hmm. you know, in, in the moonlight, in the night of longing and love and all that kind of stuff. Which, I, you know, Matt Cameron's a big softy. Between this and you are, <laughs> it's pretty much all just, oh, wifey, you're so great. It's pretty much every song he writes. Yeah, it is. When you listening to the song, it's kind of like, oh, okay, you know, it's kind of a weird, kind of stuttery, you know, song because it's not in a straight ahead time signature. But it does the groove that it has. Mm-hmm. And like when you kind of like listen to the lyrics and kind of get into it, it is like a very sort of, I guess, sensual song. It is like a, a like a sort of just real, I don't know, like it is a real groove mm-hmm. sort of song. And that bass sound that he gets on the demo is mm-hmm. so amazing. I wish they would have done that on the Lost Dogs version. That just really grungy, funky bass that he that he does. Yeah, it, it is a, like the the tone of it and everything like that is like real sort of. Like, oh, this would have fit in with Soundgarden. It, it does feel 100% like a Soundgarden song that Matt had just been kind of working on, and then Soundgarden broke up, and then he's 
in this new band. He's like, oh, I can show them this. Mm-hmm. But you could very much sort of picture, especially the way Matt delivers the lyrics, you could picture Chris Cornell sort of singing on the track. So, so, so do you think then that the lyrical change was sort of a nod to, to, to Pearl Jam then at that point, where it was kind of like, you know, like these lyrics feel kind of more Pearl Jammy and kind of more straight ahead than the original lyrics? I do. I feel like the new, the new lyrics that Ed, at, at the very least, had some input on, you know, as more like, this is something that I would sing. Mm-hmm. Whereas what Matt wrote is much more something that Chris would sing. Even though like um, Jeff, some of the lyrics he writes are real kind of out there and stuff. Like thinking like uh, Pilot and uh, particularly uh, uh, Pilot mm-hmm. and um, crap, the other one, Low Light. Yeah, right. But you've got to understand that at the point that Ed and Jeff, like Ed joined Jeff's band. Mm-hmm. So there is there is sort of a a hierarchy of who gets to change whose lyrics, I feel like. Whereas Matt joined both of their bands. Like he's sort of the, and especially at this time, it was his first sort of studio experience with the the rest of the band. I'm sure that there was a lot of, of him figuring out where he fit in that hierarchy and them figuring out, you know, where he fit in that hierarchy. Because as... As great of drummers as Dave and Jack were, I don't, I never got the feeling that they were big contributors, you know, aside from like Red Dot to, to the musical aspect. They, they weren't as big contributors as songwriters as Matt probably was to Soundgarden yeah. prior to joining Pearl Jam. So I think, I think that that's an interesting story about Binaural that doesn't get told a lot is that dynamic of, okay, now you're in this band, let's figure out, you know, where you fit in it. Yeah, I, I think that that's sort of like the the growing pains that you kind of get in No Code, kind of mirrored again in Binaural, sort of, you know, you have a whole new member coming in and them trying to find their place and the band trying to figure out how do we fit this peg into the slot of what we are as a band and still retain our you know, our, our identity and everything like that, mm-hmm. which, you know, in no code though, gets more love. I feel than binaural, which I'm not sure if it's, if it's, mo- I, I, I don't think it's necessarily because of the songs, but more the production of the kind of binaural mm-hmm. attempt at a couple songs and that kind of falling yeah. flat, even though, you know, I mean, the songs that it's used on, I think benefit from, from that kind of, experimentation and uh you know trying to expand the horizons yeah no absolutely i think that nothing as it seems the way that that is produced is a work of art 
on binaural. Sleight of hand. Sleight of hand as well. But I feel like if Brendan O'Brien had been the producer on that album from the beginning, it probably would be in a lot of Pearl Jam's fans' eyes, better received, higher ranked, more regarded. Mm-hmm. But what the hell do I know? <laughs> I, do, I do know this. I can tell you that as part of that growing process, uh, Matt's wife at the time and now, April Cameron, played viola on at least one track on Binaural. She's credited. Yeah. And that Matt Cameron's favorite author is Franz Kafka. Oh, yeah, I did some Matt Cameron research, doing some Matt Cameron love for this episode. Oh, so so does 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 Kafka come into these uh, lyrics at all? Do you think? Uh, no, I don't <laughs> get any sense of Kafka in any of thinking back on any of the Matt written songs. I don't get a sense of Kafka in any of them. But I just thought that you know what an interesting favorite author to have a uh, Czech German existentialist. Hmm. Well, uh, I know that um, a nightbird is following you all the time. Yeah, let's talk about that line. This weirds me out. So I know that there's a Stevie Nicks song called Nightbird. Nightbird just refers to any bird in the night, I guess. Say and like and kind of and kind of like n- a nightingale, even though it's spelled nighting ale, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> uh, is uh, kind of assumed to be kind of a, a, a when you call something a nightbird, it's like oh, it's a nightingale, right? Just because that's kind of I don't know. Also the. The Romeo and Juliet references, I think, probably tie in this being kind of a more romantic song. Mm-hmm. Do you think just kind of in the moonlight, just kind of the... Um... Well, no, the the Nightingale, that was uh, part of the... Yeah, it was the the, the famous balcony scene. They, oh, okay. Blah, blah, oh, blah, okay. roses, blah, 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 nightingales. I don't... <laughs> I read that in high school, but okay. I remember there being a nightingale in it. Uh, a nightingale is also the national bird of uh, Ukraine and, I, and Iran. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of uh, meant to signify virtue and goodness in uh, what is this? Uh, in a Metamorphosis mm-hmm. by Ovid, there is a, a story. Did you say Metamorphosis by Ovid? Yes. Well, it's spelled metamor- Metamorphosis. But M- you metamorphosis. Know that, <laughs> you know that Kafka's most famous short story is The Metamorphosis. That's right. Oh. Boom. There's the yeah. There's there's a there's a Greek myth that uh, Ovid writes in Metamorphoses about Philomena, mm-hmm. who survives some violence and then gets turned into a nightingale, and um, it's sort of seen as she's always sort of crying and just calling out for her love and just kind of being her loss of life and everything mm-hmm. like that, and that's kind of why nightingales sing or something like that 
That's not that's not very romantic at all, Brandon. No. <laughs> no, I guess not. But um I, I don't know if the night bird following you is kind of I don't know, just kind of the the, the love that you're that you're seeking. You're I feel like that that was the interpretation I probably landed on as the real one, is that the the night bird following you is a because I mean we've all been in love mm-hmm. and had that feeling as you go as you walk away from like a date or hanging out of like just that overwhelming joy and, mm-hmm. and like oh I wish this day would never end it's, right yeah you know, and, you, kind and of... you, even though it's nighttime you hear you know the birds chirping in your mind as you're walking along and I feel like that 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 is the imagery that they're intending with the night bird following you is just the the sort of the the bird chirping happiness kind of idea yeah and i guess that, that kind of goes along then with the original sort of line there slips away with the kiss good night this time yeah as opposed to my first instinct upon reading the lyric was sort of an edgar Allan poe like quote the raven nevermore mm-hmm. interpretation which i don't think the the rest of the lyrics really support yeah, I think that's kind of everything with this song, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of, mm-hmm. we, we, we did it. We solved it. Yeah, we covered all of my notes, <laughs> which I've got to say, three pages for this song. Three pages of notes. So when you edit this down and it's a 17-minute podcast. <laughs> uh, Kevin, good to talk to you. I think... Uh, hey, the... wait, 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 my friend. Oh, okay. I, well, I, I was gonna say like it's it's uh, this. I I think that this is this is a good song that I think deserves yeah. some more some more love from fans. I think this is a really good song, and I think that it is it is sort of deceptively obtuse. Yeah. For uh, f- for a Pearl Jam song that I I think that you know you kind of you have to let yourself get drawn into it and not fight against it i agree i think that um for the people and i think that there's probably a lot of crossover in the venn diagram of pearl jam fans and soundgarden fans Mm -hmm. i feel like this is probably a song that appeals to those people in that middle of that venn diagram Mm -hmm. who can appreciate the sort of obtuse musicality of a lot of soundgarden but also appreciate the accessibility of pearl jam Agreed. And I, I do agree. I wish it was easier for Stone and Jeff to play so that they would play it more often. Mm-hmm. Um, because the other thing that I did want to mention that I love about this, especially in the in the Lost Dogs version, is Mike's lead. Oh, yes! And I feel like this is a song that live, as long as they could figure out how to like not play it exactly and be able to, to sort of groove on it, the, the sort of lead work that Mike could do over this live would be really amazing. Yeah, exactly. Mike could, you know, if they just get through and make it to the end, <laughs> it's kind of like, okay, just count to 10 and just keep doing it. And, and Mike can just kind of go off and really shine. It is a sort of, I think a song that could showcase Mike and kind of get more people into it that way yeah it could become a live classic yeah if you could count it (laughs) 
So uh, you, you what, what, what did you, did you have something for me, Kevin? I did. So here's the thing, Brandon. Your uh, episodes always end with a question. Not always. Most times. Usually it's you asking your guests. Not always. Most of the time it is. But in this case, I don't know if anyone has asked you this, but since you've asked me every question that you could possibly come up with so far, <laughs> I'd like to ask you, Brandon... What does Pearl Jam mean to you? Uh, I've already had an episode where I say exactly what Pearl Jam means to me, Kevin. Yeah, but but you're not answering my question. You're directing me to an answer that you had at a different time and a different point in your life. Now that you've been doing this for, what, four years? Uh, the three, th- over three, almost four years? About four, yeah. maybe, when this comes out? I don't know. Has that answer changed? Does does Pearl Jam's place in your life um, is it a is it a more important place? Is it a do you, does it feel more like work to you than it than it would have done four years ago? What where where are you at with your relationship with Pearl Jam? See now you're combining different questions that I've asked. <laughs> I am. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna get to your album ranking here in a minute. If you keep, uh... <laughs> Okay, I see what I see where it's going. So you're just combining all the questions then and and mm-hmm. and, uh, and 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 asking them to me. It's like, well, well where where I am with 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 Pearl Jam is I'm is I I'm getting there towards the end, you know. This podcast, yeah. it's it's I I think I've got another two solid years until I until I get to the end, unless they come out with another album sometime between then. Are you gonna start doing the live the the? Oh no, no 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 no. No, I might do some of the bootleg song, the some of the 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 improv songs and the cover songs and stuff like that that they mm-hmm. that they, that they've done live. But uh, yeah, no, I don't have to do live stuff. That's what Live on Four Legs is for. That's true, which is also a great Pearl Jam podcast. Yeah, but I guess more more what I was getting at is like I know that you had not the greatest experience uh, going to to your Pearl Jam concert this year because of you know, circumstances being what they were. Mm -hmm. But I also know that you had a chance to sort of meet, you know, with more of the Pearl Jam community. Do you feel like, because I remember you saying at the beginning of this that one of the things you wanted out of the podcast was to open up and to make more friends and to connect more with people. Would you say that you're achieving that goal? Yeah, I think I am. I, I might not feel like I am. At some points, like kind of like feel like, oh, you know, uh, I'm still shy. I'm not reaching out as much as I could be or want to and everything like that. And and it, it just is goes along with however my mood is. But if I look at everything sort of objectively, it's kind of like, oh, no, yeah, it's, it's, it's progress being made. And it's it's overall a positive and it's it's progress and it's not however it may seem on okay. a bad day or anything like that. That's really cool. I'm really happy for you for that, Brandon. Yeah, well, thanks. And I'm, I'm really appreciative that I get to be a part of this, a small part of this journey with you as your <laughs> friend and a friend of the podcast and a friend to every single one of your listeners except for one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I, I'm glad that that you're on this journey with me as well because uh 
it makes it makes it a lot easier when I have songs to cover that uh, people don't want to talk about. Right. <laughs> it's like, hey, Kevin, uh, do you have any thoughts about this song? No, not really, but I can make some up. All right. That's what I'm here for. Well, Kevin, good good talking with you. Thanks for coming on and helping me get this song in the books. Well, of course, Brandon. It's always my pleasure to hang out with you and to talk Pearl Jam. The Better Band Podcast is produced by Brandon Palomo and published using a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 license. Please visit creativecommons.org or email listenupreno at gmail.com for more details. All music played is owned by their respective publishers and copyright holders and is reproduced for a few purposes only under fair use. You can subscribe to the Better Band Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or from betterbandpod.com using your favorite podcast app. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Better Band Pod. I'm on Twitter at Brandon P. B-R-A-N-D-E-N-P. If you would like to support this podcast, you can go to either ko-fi.com slash Brandon P or patreon.com slash Brandon P. You can also just give me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, but don't forget to tell your friends. If you'd like to be a guest on a future episode, send an email to betterbandpod at gmail.com or send any insights and stories you'd like to share, and I'll read them on the season finale episode. Again, I'd like to thank my guest Kevin, and as always, this is Brandon saying... Now, I'm not saying Jezebel's easy, but before she moved to Sodom, it was known for its pottery. <laughs>